Empower Radio presents Out of the Fog. Join intuitive guide and spiritual teacher Karen Hager for lively, positive conversation with lightworkers, healers, and dynamic wisdom keepers. Get ready for inspiration and connection. This is Out of the Fog on Empower Radio. Here's your host, Karen Hager. Hello and welcome to Out of the Fog. I'm Karen Hager. Each week at this time, we gather for a spiritual conversation and enlightening guests, and I'm glad you're here. Time and distance are no barrier to energy, and that means no matter when you're listening, no matter how you found us, you are here for a reason. And I hope something in the next hour lights you up and helps you move forward. Now, we're here to be who we are and to shine our light into the world. Everybody knows that. You know that, right? So why, why is it so hard? And why is it especially hard for those of us who are on the sensitive side of the spectrum? Those of us who see more, feel more, take in more, hold more. Well, creative living coach Jamie Riddler is my guest today, and she's here to talk about Ways for sensitive souls like me and maybe like you to awaken and maybe rediscover our creative spark in life and in business. Are you ready to meet her? Jamie Riddler is a creative force from her popular creative living with Jamie podcast to her inspirational behind the scenes vlogs from innovative workshops to insightful blogging. Jamie helps people bring their creativity to life. She's the founder of Jamie Riddler Studios, and she's helped thousands of women around the world find the confidence and courage to discover and express their creative spirit, whether that is rediscovering their artistic self or bringing more of their creative capacity to their life and their business. Jamie's a magic maker, a possibility awakener, and a deep believer in dreams. You can find out more about Jamie and her work at OpenTheDoor.com. C.A. Jamie, welcome to Out of the Fog. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. I'm already beaming at you. (laughs) And I'm beaming at you, too, that as we go forward here, it's an hour-long show. Our faces are going to hurt. There could be a problem. I think my cheeks are showing signs of wear already. (laughs) (laughs) And we've never had a medical emergency on Out of the Fog, but if for any reason you need to summon assistance, you just you go ahead, do what you need to do. Okay. Um, so I, I'd love to know a little bit about your journey because as I caught up with your work, and this is now, gosh, it must be four or five years ago, when I caught up with your work, you are this shimmering, creative powerhouse. Has it always been that way with you? What was little Jamie like? <laughs> I love that question. I think, I think I was shimmering creative from the time I came out of the womb, but I think it took some growing into being a powerhouse. <laughs> I think when I was when I was a little girl, I was just I was quiet. I think this surprises people a great deal because, you know, I host a podcast, I, I vlog all the time, I am out there in the world, but I really am a sensitive soul and when I was little I was pretty quiet and really able to entertain myself for a very long time because I found the world such a magical place. And I just wanted to create all the time. I made up games for my friends on the street. I put on puppet shows. I choreographed dances. I painted like any creative thing I wanted in it. 
Uh, and so, yeah, that part of me, and I have to say thanks to my mom, too, for really, when I was a girl, creating such an environment where, you know, we had paints, and we had maracas, and I had a tambourine, and I had a spotlight. I got to tell you, that was like the best gift I ever got for my birthday wow. one year. I got a spotlight. Nobody ever gave me a spotlight. Okay, well then, uh, put that on your list. Like, <laughs> we're going to have to do something about that. <laughs> so you really, you were given opportunity. And I'm willing to bet that maybe when you were growing up, there wasn't that idea of you can use the paints, but don't make a mess. Use them very carefully. Not that color. Oh, dear. Well, look what you've done. I. It sounds like there was permission to create freely. Well, it it was a little, it's a little bit complicated as life is, you know. I absolutely had the opportunity. I absolutely had the encouragement. But I also had a mom who was an artist, you know. And so she might be a little quick to say, well, Jamie, that, well, you made that so quickly. I, I don't think it could be art. Art takes time. Oh, you know, and so I got that message too. Uh, and also being being a tender little, like a little person, I was good at doing all of this at home, but I was not, I was not the kid who put herself forward. You know, like if, if I went to ballet class, which I did, I'd sort of be shy and at the back, <laughs> you know, and I think the other piece of that too was it's a difficult thing to have something that feels so natural and alive and you, authentically you, and then ever get any negative feedback at all. Yeah. Uh, you know, because you're like, what? Huh? But I made this with love. Look at these. How could you not love this? It's purple. Hmm. <laughs> that early I um I so I was a, an acting child so started acting when I was a kid that's why oh man if I'd had a spotlight can you imagine what I could have done with my life anyway um I was an acting child and for me that was my creative outlet so world of the imagination and making up stories and and playing and then being able to act it out at a really young age <laughs> I don't know if you and I are about the same age but do you remember Kimba the White Lion the cartoon that used to be on TV oh um, I don't know that one I may be dating myself it's when tv was mostly black and white you had to crank it you know with the handle to get it going and anyway um but anyway i would get the neighborhood children together mostly unwilling and we would put on long plays of kimba the white lion but when it came to the art stuff when it came to drawing and painting and especially when we were all standing at a big table drawing and painting and creating i hated that because i was always super aware and i don't think anyone was ever mean to me about my art but i was super aware of the comparison of what i was making with what the person next to me was making and yes. i think it shut me down like nobody's business it's amazing how that happened and you know we're so conscious of I think also especially this is one of those sensitive people thing. We pay attention. We pay attention to what everyone's doing. We notice what everyone's doing. And so we can really fall into that place of, well, how, how is what I'm doing compared to them? And I think it's also you bring up such an interesting thing about the different arts. You know, we tend to see somebody who is at home in their art, and we think that means they're, like, wildly confident in all of their creative life. But 
somebody can be, you know, so confident in their painting and so sensitive about their singing, you know, or so confident in their dancing and they wouldn't let you see a, a, a word they ever wrote. Um, it's, it's very fascinating to me how we're wired creatively. And I think comparison is one of the things, one of the biggest shutter downers out there in the world. What, why is it important, especially as we're now, we're all grownups. Why is it important to make art? What is art for? No pressure. Yeah, no pressure. Just a little question. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think for some of us, um, and I don't know, maybe I would say for all of us, but for some of us, for sure, it's just how we're wired. You know, it's kind of like, uh, so I'm hedging on this question in part because I feel like it's important to say it doesn't have to have a purpose. It doesn't have to have a purpose other than you're wired to create it. Just like you breathe, well, breathing has a purpose. (laughs) (laughs) You know, or we move, it's natural in us, and so we need to honor that. You have that creative impulse, and you need to express it. And I kind of feel it's like a tree or a flower. It's a part of our natural ecology that whatever that thing is, whether it's a song or a dance or whatever, that we have that impulse to create, we offer it up to the world. A tree doesn't know exactly why it made apples, but it made apples, and that's a gift to the world. And so I think we can sometimes bypass the why and trust that that instinct we have is there for a reason, create from that impulse and share it in the world and trust that it's a blessing. Mm. And it, I'm just kind of getting as you're saying this. I'm maybe it is a response to that divine spark that's in all of us. Maybe it is kind of a a not like a reflex, like breaking into song when you're happy. Maybe it is a response to that divine spark, to that idea that there is more, there is beauty. Um, I I believe art can be created out of sorrow and anger as well as out of beauty and all the happiness things, right? That that expression, that response is part of what creates art. And if, I feel that art also evokes a response in the person who then interacts with it, participates it. So it's what I make, but when I show it to you, you have a response, whether that's loathing or you're delighted or it makes you feel something or whatever it is that it evokes a response in, in you. And what a wonderful way of communicating maybe for us. Yes. And communing, you know, it's a way, I think art is the way, one of the ways we understand what it means to be human. We understand it when we, just as you said, we receive it from someone else and suddenly we connect heart to heart or mind to mind or respond in some way. We're in connection with another human being. And when we create, we start to understand, even when we journal and we're sort of writing something that's ultimately just for ourselves, a part of that process brings us into understanding of who we are as a human being. And I love, I just, I, I, I love that you went here because uh, I have a theater background too. And there's something so special and I think so often misunderstood about performative arts 
because, like, I just got goosebumps thinking about it. When you're up on stage and you're sending, you're sending so that it can be received and you can have this gorgeous light between you and the people who are receiving, and it's a gift. And often people... Um, and this takes us to that concept of shining, you know, often people think that those of us who have an instinct to perform, that we're ego-centered, that we're, that we're trying to take attention, that we're demanding something, where in fact, I think the impulse is quite the opposite. It's a generous offering of your soul and in a hope of connecting to everybody else's soul. It's a magical, magical thing. And there's that. I know that in my work, I feel very passionate about it, that it isn't, it's not a performance, but it's more about holding the mirror. Let me hold the mirror. Maybe something reflected in what I say or what I show or what I do, maybe that sparks something in somebody else. Let me hold the mirror. Re good performance, I believe. Let's, let's say, let's say acting. A, a really good performance, a beautifully drawn character, a finely rendered moment on the stage can be life-changing for somebody in the audience. It, and it's a mirror, I think. Absolutely. And that's why it's such, it is such a brave thing to create and share. Because the deeper you go, the more honest you are, the more you connect to that core of human experience that's familiar to all of us, the more chance there is for that life-changing moment. And I have to say, I had that just recently. It was the funniest thing. I, I just stumbled across a music video by a Canadian singer-songwriter named David Francie, and I watched it, and I just started to cry. I cried so hard that my husband came in, and he was like, what's going on with you? And I couldn't even tell him, I'm pointing at the video. I'm trying to like, hope that he'll see what I see. But I didn't even know. It took me a while to unpack what that was about. And in part, it was just the sincerity and authenticity of his singing called to my artistic heart and said, Jamie, create more. Create more. I have been known to, now nobody look and don't put any of this on YouTube, but I have been known to sit at my son's band concerts and cry in the band concert. Not perhaps because of the excellence and technical competence of the music that I was hearing, but, <laughs> but, beca but because, uh, first of all, I'm proud of my son, but it's also that, to me, that feeling and having had that background doing performance, that feeling and everybody together and the reaction of the audience and the pride that we feel that we send to the band on stage and the music that the band sends back, that moves something in me. It touches something deep. And I could feel that way whether I'm seeing, I don't know, a Shakespeare tragedy portrayed or I'm watching comedy or it doesn't matter. There's that, that interplay, that connection. And I, I maybe believe that when we shine in this way, when we're holding the mirror either as the sender or the receiver, that change happens, growth happens in there. Absolutely. And, you know, when you're describing that, you know, and I outed myself about crying, the, you know, what I often wonder is, why are we so afraid to cry? You know, I, 
I notice this a lot of people, I work with a lot of people who are coming back to their creativity after a long time. And one of the things that's hard that sometimes happen is they're so excited to come back to it. And they think it's going to be fun and they're going to play. And then they sit down and they're overwhelmed by these feelings, like the intensity of their feelings, maybe anger, maybe sadness, and then suddenly they want to walk away from it. Suddenly it's like, oh, maybe this isn't for me. But I think this is a part of the key of the arts, is that it's the whole range of who we are as human beings. And when we close down, uh, you know, we close down our ability to shine when we close down any part of who we are. If we feel like it's not okay to cry at our son's band concert, which I think is awesome, (laughs) you know, or it's not okay to cry when we read a poem or we're standing in front of a work of art or gasp. I've done that. I remember seeing uh, the first time it's funny, Mark Rothko, the first time I saw one of his paintings in per, like live and in person in San Francisco, I walked into the room and gasped. I had no, I'd seen those paintings tons of times in prints and, you know, sort of said, well, yeah, color, stripes, I don't get it. But when I walked in the room, I was like, <gasps> we have to allow ourselves this human experience you know, so in order to be in connection with ourselves, in order to be con- in connection with the divine, in order to be in connection with one another. And art is one of the most glorious, glorious ways to do that. Is part of the reason it's more difficult for sensitive people to shine, does it have to do with maybe fearing that natural expression that maybe it would go too far or hurt too much or be somehow seen by somebody else as like not in line with what you would expect? Absolutely. I mean, the level of discomfort can be a lot. And, you know, when we're really sensitive, it's like other people may think the music is turned on like up to four, but we're hearing it at 11. And they're going, well, I think it's kind of pretty and it's breaking our hearts with the beauty. Mm. And so sometimes other people can give us the feedback that that's weird or dramatic or you know, um, we're being overly sensitive, when in fact, it is our gateway into truth and beauty and ourselves, um, and it is what allows us to shine. It, it's, it, is, it can be overwhelming, absolutely. Sometimes there's definitely times I need to take a stimulation break. You know, there are times that I cannot read, especially a nonfiction book. Like, I devour ideas. I am so excited by everything. But then sometimes, even reading a magazine article, you know, in one paragraph, there could be seven things I suddenly want to create or respond to or think about or write about or start doing a photography series on. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, and at those times, I need to create a little a little bubble around myself so that the stimulation can be very gentle and quiet with me and I can, I can be in my own creative process. And that in itself, there's an art to that, an art to knowing when to push, push a little bit and then when to step back. Yes. It's like the pause in music and the crescendo in music, you know, and learning your own rhythm and and also giving yourself permission 
to say yes and no to things. One of the most um, powerful exercises I do with, in my group coaching program, where we do a, a section on shining, and one of the thing, exercises we do is sort of tuning into our energy and allowing ourselves to shine our light energetically, like out first feeling it in our body and our solar plexus and then letting it grow, you know, past our body, filling the room outside, but then also dialing it back in, pulling it back to ourselves and then playing with the adjustment so that it's where we feel comfortable. We, we can develop that capacity to choose what, that, that beautiful place of stretching and expanding, and also we're allowed to be safe, <laughs> you know, and we're allowed to feel good. And, um, and that, I think, is a lifetime practice of discernment, learning that place of expansion and retreat. And maybe for some of us who are the sensitive people, we have had to... Uh, take other people's rhythms as our own because it's too painful sometimes to be in our own rhythms. And so that process of finding your way back to that flow, I can see how that would be difficult, how it would be a challenge. Well, and sometimes as sensitive people, we, we pick up other people's rhythms and we just go. It's like, you know, you suddenly, you hear a samba and you just start moving. And you're moving to that beat, not your own. And then somebody else is playing some heavy metal, and you're moving to that. And you don't even notice you're doing it. You just naturally pick up that rhythm and start to go with it. And I think that's why um, solitary time, like some time with yourself, when it, it's weird to say some of the things that wake you up. For me, the first time I ever went to the movies by myself was when I really got it. Because it was in t- only in that moment that I realized how much I paid attention to what other people might be feeling, thinking, seeing. You know, I'll be like, oh, that's that kind of, that's a clown. My sister finds that so scary. She's going to hate this part. Oh, so-and-so's going to laugh. At, oh, that's a little uncomfortable for my dad. You know, like I'm, I'm experiencing all empathetically all of what I imagine they're experiencing or I'm tuning into that energy. When I was there by myself, that's when I got it, that I had my own response totally separate. So I, I encourage people to do that. Go somewhere by themselves. Take yourself on what Julia Cameron calls an artist date. Go and experience something, art, a garden, a movie, a restaurant, by yourself so you can be in the purity of your own response. And especially for people who are empathic in that way, the realizing that we have permission to experience something by ourselves without all those layers of other people's feelings. That was a huge one for me because it took me a long time into my forties really before I kind of realized I could go and do what I wanted. I, <laughs> right. Which is silly, right? I was a big grown up girl. I'd done a lot of things. I could go do what I wanted. I was allowed to have my own experiences and my own take on things without kind of always referring, referencing it back to what somebody else might think. Like you say, it's the clown. It'll be scary for my sister. My brother will hate this dog. Right. And that there's a, there's a real, to me, a real point of spiritual connection in that. Oh, wait, I'm at the movies by myself. If I don't like it, I can get up and leave or I could stay and see the next show, but there's freedom in that. 
huge freedom. I remember when I was in my coaching training, and at lunchtime, everybody went out for lunch with each other. And um, it was a great networking, you see my air quotes, networking opportunity, <laughs> a great time to build a community of new coaches in my own city. It was so smart to go out for lunch. I could not do it. You know, and it was took so much bravery for me to say thank you, everybody. Uh, you know, and being Canadian, we're so polite, too. It was really hard to say thank you for the invitation. But no, I'm going to go be by myself. <laughs> but that's what I needed. And I think, too, one of the things I, I, I want to say and really um, make people aware of is what's brave. You know, when you're a sensitive person, sometimes something that looks like a teeny tiny step to somebody else is like you jumping off Mount Everest. It's huge because you feel it more. The intensity's higher. And so trusting yourself to say yes, to say no, to celebrate your own sense of bravery, what it took for you to do what you did, I think this is, is profound. And it can bring, I believe, all those little things we do, the little yeses we say to ourselves, the little bits of expression, the permission that we give, and our joy or wonder or delight or curiosity at doing those, that's part of what helps us plug back into this big divine spark that we're, that we're talking about, to the big shine, shine with a capital S. Our lives are made up of our little choices. You know, and so never underestimate the cost and the benefit of saying yes to you, you know, of choosing what lights you up, of choosing the thing that's your truth. Um, and it can be as small as saying, actually, you know what, I don't want that for dinner. Yeah. I'd rather have this, yeah. you know, or, you know, go, or saying, let's go here for lunch instead of just going where everybody else always wants to go. Mm. These little ways we, we offer up ourselves and we take up some space, <laughs> you know, and we acknowledge that we are important and we have a voice and our voice matters, mm. you know, and I think that we often forget we can all take a stand for this for other people. Everybody matters. Everybody needs to shine. Everybody needs love. Everybody needs self-care. Oh, but me, I, I don't really need it. That's okay. Thanks. <laughs> well, I know that one of the things that we do need is a commercial break, and we're right, <laughs> we're right at the bottom of the hour. You're listening to Out of the Fog with Karen Hager. My guest is the wonderful Jamie Riddler. We'll be right back with more conversation with Jamie after this. This week's episode, Danger at the Old Well. Last one to the old well's a rotten egg. Ha ha, I win. Whoa! Ah! Sassy! Johnny fell down the well. I'm wet. What, Sassy? You know where Mr. Gunderson keeps his rope? Go get it, girl. What? You'd rather use his time to set people straight about shelter pet adoption? I'm cold. People shouldn't be afraid to adopt from a shelter? Because shelter pets are screened for sound health and temperament? I'm wet and cold! Sassy, what about Johnny? <laughs> what? Let Johnny sit in the well until he learns to be more self-reliant? Sassy! What'd he say? 
Sassy is brought to you by the Ad Council and the ShelterPetProject.org. Remember, adopt. Come to the forest. It's a place not so far away. A place where you don't have to mow the lawn or babysit. I saw lizards and squirrels and bugs. Ladybugs, caterpillars. It's really cool, actually. A place where you don't have to make time for free time. Lots and lots of kinds of species here. Out here, you may even meet the mysterious creature known as the other you. The enchanted you. It's magic what flowers do. The adventurous you. My favorite tree. Yes. That one. The free-to-be-me you. (laughs) Ask your parents to take you to this not-so-far-away place. Come to the forest, where the other you lives. But first, stop by discovertheforest.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Hey, Larry, mind if I sit down? Nope. This coffee tastes like uh, coffee. So what's going on? Not much. What's new? Not much. Okay, but can you please put the newspaper down while you say not much? What newspaper? This newspaper. Oh, dude, what happened to your face? I see one, two, Ow. three, four, five, six. Ow. Dude, what is Ow. this? Eleven pieces of toilet paper stuck to your face? I'm shaving in the dark to save energy. I'm helping the environment. That's a dangerous way to help the environment. Well, sometimes you have to sacrifice yourself for the greater good. Dude, there's an easier and safer way to help the environment without sacrificing yourself. Go green, go public. Take public transportation. It's good for the environment and you won't have to live behind a newspaper. Wow. But for now, put the newspaper back up. A message from the public transportation systems across the country. To learn more, visit publictransportation.org. And now back to Out of the Fog with Karen Hager on Empower Radio. EmpowerRadio.com. Welcome back to Out of the Fog. I'm Karen Hager, and I'm talking with Jamie Riddler. She's the creator of Jamie Riddler Studios and the Creative Living with Jamie podcast and the behind the scenes at the studio vlog and blogs and journals and oh my gosh everything you can find out more about jamie and her work at open the door.ca that's open the door.ca and of course i always welcome your feedback your questions your musings on what you're hearing on the show you can connect with me on facebook at out of the fog or no actually wait my facebook i think is fog city psychic so connect with me on facebook at fog city psychic and you can also um reach me through my website karenhager.com my email address is karen at KarenHager.com. Jamie, before the break, we were really tapping into that idea of permission, giving ourselves permission to be present, to create, to play. If you're working with someone who is just teetering on the edge, wanting to open that door and is feeling a little bit tentative, what would you guide them to do? How Let's say they've gone, they've taken themselves to the movies and now they're ready for more. Maybe they'd like to play a little with color or texture. What's a good way for them to get started? I'm kind of giggling because it's one of the reasons why it is such a great idea to have a coach because I know I give my clients that for homework and oh. they just get all excited. Like, what? I should play with crayons for a whole... Really? <laughs> Yes, and by next week, you better show me. (laughs) And so, you know, in a way, having some accountability to that can really help. Uh, But I think that 
I would say, especially if it's tender, um, still playing still playing by yourself, (laughs) you know, for exactly the reasons that, you know, I'm thinking back to what you said about how easily we can be in comparison. Um, I'm thinking about the fact that a lot of us have a lot of really negative experiences with teachers. And I hate to say that because, you know, I honor teachers and a good teacher is, um, such a gift to this world, but a lot of us have been shut down by negative feedback. Uh, and so I would say keep exploring, but keep, you know, give yourself a Saturday morning play date at your own house with some paint. And I know when I started to get back into the visual arts, one of the things I did was I used little kid supplies because I was way too intimidated to go to an art store. So I just, you know, got like went to the dollar store, you know, use some uh, paint-by-numbers paint, use some crayons, just honestly use a pencil and a pen and just doodle and have some fun. Whatever can make it as unintimidating as possible, whatever can make it as safe as possible. And, you know, another way to make it safe is to have a good buddy. You know, if you want to go out there and do something like take a class, go with a buddy so you can be support for one another. Uh, And then grow that gently from, you know, yourself to sharing a little bit with people that you know are safe to maybe venturing out into the world with a a teacher that somebody else has really recommended to you. That's all really good. And it reminds me that this is supposed to be fun. Um, I love, love to knit. So knitting to me is, has a prayerful quality, a meditative quality. The items that I knit are, are maybe questionable in their artistic or sort of functional merit. And yet <laughs> the joy I feel in working with the yarn and the clack of the needles and the color and the texture and the patterns is really something. But I find that I have to remind myself every once in a while, I was making a, making a sock, beautiful sock. It's green and it has this kind of lovely lace pattern and it has these gently sort of undulating curves in the pattern and it's beautiful. And I was knitting away last night and realized that I was, I had made a mistake. And in one of the places where it should have been just plain, I'd actually put a little of that knit pattern in. And as I started to get all harsh with myself, I realized, wait a minute, who am I knitting this for? Are these presentation socks for Queen Elizabeth of England? Or is this instead something I'm doing because it delights me? Is there any punishment here? No, there's only joy, only adventure, only curiosity. And I think that's important to remember. We lose that sense of of play, of joy, and yet the lift that we get when we play with the crayons. Or when someone says for homework, take that Play-Doh and make something delightful or strange. It's wonderful. I think this is the key, uh, is to be present with the joy of the work. You know, so you really want to be doing things where you actually love the feel of the yarn and the needles click. I, I always like the sound of needles clicking against each other. Yeah. My sister gave me some, you know, bamboo needles. And I was like, uh-uh, I need the metal click, yeah. <laughs> click, click, click. <laughs> like, that's fun for me, you know, or... Um, with, with uh, if you're doing visual art, like the color, like enjoying the color, or if you're trying to sing, like the physical sensation of vibration in your body, really tuning into the pleasure of that moment. And I think that this is why that's key to getting through what is often the hardest part, which is moving from that impulse, that tender stage of wanting to engage in it, to it becoming a part of your regular practice. Because we judge ourselves so harshly 
and so quickly. And I don't know why we do this with the arts. We don't seem to do it with other things. I don't figure that I can sit in a car and know how to drive it without anyone ever showing me or without hours and hours of practice. But somehow, I think when I sit down, I should be able to draw that plant, that cat, that person, and it should be beautifully uh, arranged and the composition just so, and it should really look like that dog, not this stick figure. Uh, but we do that. We really, really do. Um, and so getting through that stage of giving yourself time to learn a skill, number one, and then no matter how much you make, you will always make stuff that is, as you put it, questionable. <laughs> and now that entertains me a little bit. <laughs> you know, I've made enough. And um, I think that's a key, too. The more you make, the less precious every little piece becomes because it is not the one and only thing in the world that will prove that you are creative and a deserving of making art. And so when we take that pressure off and just allow, I'm going to go back to that feeling, that, that thing about, you know, a tree just making its apples. You know, when we just allow, hey, I'm just meant to do this. I don't have to prove that I'm allowed to do this by, oh, I'm getting teary about this, by being good at it. And this is one of the great disservices our society does with the arts is we say to little kids, hey, this is for everybody. And then all of a sudden it's only for people who audition, Yeah. you know, and it's only for people who are this tall. It's only for these, you know, people who have demonstrated X skill. And that's just not true. The arts are for everybody. And that means all the arts and that means everybody, period. The, I'm really interested in kind of the maker movement, that regeneration of uh, people having um, kind of handmade businesses. And that's fascinating to me. I do see, though, how it puts pressure on people like me who have high standards anyway. And so if I'm going to be knitting, maybe I'm supposed to be knitting and selling my socks. Oh, God, do I have to build a business around the socks now? And that can, to me, that that can kind of take the fun out of it. But for other people, I can see where that would be a wonderful launching pad to a whole way of not only expressing yourself, but supporting yourself at the same time, or at least bring in a little extra. I'm so with you, and I think that it's a, this is, again, that sort of point of discernment for yourself, because I think often um, what I see is, and I get a lot of clients who come to me, and a lot of people in my community are really interested in creating their own business, and often that comes as, as they are, again, returning to their art or rediscovering their art, and they're really excited about it, and part of the impulse is also proving that it's valuable. Like if I'm making money at this, my husband will think it's okay. I spend so much time and money and effort on this. And that puts a ton of pressure on it. And often it's pressure that's coming too soon. It's pressure coming at a time when really you're needing to go through reconnecting with your art, like rediscovering who you are as a creative. And then once, once you're in like a relationship, like a sincere relationship with creativity and you're like, you guys got each other's back, then starting to think about, okay, now let's, let's add a third piece to this puzzle, which is like, let's, let's create a business. Then that can be a really solid, fun, exciting adventure to step into. And I think this shows itself in everything that I have ever seen you do. If you don't love it, if it doesn't light you up, if you don't shine 
as you're doing it, it's probably not a good business for you, right? And so if somebody, I don't know, held me at knife point and made me knit socks and try to sell them online, it wouldn't be fun. It wouldn't be a great business. I wouldn't enjoy it. And yet for me doing radio, working as an intuitive and as a teacher, that lights me up. That's, oh, that's where it is. It makes my heart sing. And I see that, I feel I see that same joy of expression in everything that you do. So do you feel that way? If you don't love it, do you keep doing it or do you toss it out? Oh, I love it. I'm just smiling. You think, thank you for saying that. I'm so glad that comes through. And I, I, I try sometimes really hard to stick with things, but I can't do it. I, I have something in me. I call it my stubborn spirit. And she just decides like, I've had enough of this and I will not move forward. I remember, um, I was studying my doctorate in theater, and I found myself always in the theater and never in the library. And I just wasn't writing my thesis. I just wasn't. I could not bring myself to do it. And when tuition came around one more time, I thought, am I really going to hand over thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to, again, not write my thesis? I think it's time to cut cut bait and run. Uh And so what, what I have found over the, and it took me years, Karen, because uh, when I was younger um, and I would try to do all those things you should do, you know, like have your responsible job and, you know, I'm, I'm a very responsible person, so I take that stuff seriously. If it wasn't for me, um, I got sick. Mm. I mean, that's what, you know, I would just slowly, my energy would start to diminish I'd get really sad. I'd be one of those people that would be crying. I'm so sure you have listeners right now who will relate to this, who would be crying in the cubicle. Um, I was just withered, just completely withered. And so I've learned to um, walk away faster and to trust that if something lights me up and I just want to grab it and run, do that. And it's permission. I can't. The, one of the reasons, that, I mean, those of us who are doing the kind of work that you and I do, one of the reasons we do it is because we know it's okay and we put it out there. And if it works, that's great. And if it doesn't work, okay. You, you go on to the next thing. But it's a struggle sometimes, I think, for, for people who are trying to find that creative spark in business because there's that terror. What if I put it out there and nobody comes or nobody looks or they do look and they think it stinks? Oh, it's the worst feeling. Yeah. <laughs> I think the thing that took, has taken me the longest in business is to not take it personally. And I think when you are creating something that you truly love and that's out of your heart and people aren't interested or people don't get it or people don't take you up on it, it is very painful. Um, and you can feel a little lost, I think. And one of the reasons I actually stepped away from theater was I felt like that. I thought oh, I'm investing my whole heart and soul in the, into something that most of the world doesn't care about at all. Uh, and that made me sad. Mm. Um, but having said that, sticking with something, first of all, if people don't like it, but you love it, that is so much better than if people don't like it and you don't love it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You know, and some people are going to like it and some people aren't going to like it 
always. That's just, that's the way we're made up. Uh, you know, if I look at my, my sister and I make Shannon, uh, make Shannon, my sister Shannon and I make art together um, on Sundays. And if you look at her palette, it's all these like greens, yellows, and oranges. And mine is like blues, purples, and pinks, mm. <laughs> you know, and that's just us. And so sometimes people will come up to me and say, oh, purple, not for me and move on. So yes, as a sensitive person, that's hard. It's easier if I'm like, yeah, but purple, man, I love it. And it becomes easier as I find my people that do love purple. Um, it becomes easier and easier to trust. And maybe that's the next step in kind of shining as a sensitive person is finding that community, finding that um, not just validation, but support for whatever it is that we're doing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, if you don't find it in your family and it's not in your current, it, one of the things I've found with the people I've worked with is often their creativity is something, you know, really old that's new again and the people in their life don't get it. Or, like, I, I work with people sometimes who are accountants or computer scientists or, like, people who, who their community, their regular community, just doesn't get their creative impulse. And so it does mean creating new friends, which should be such a lovely thing and surrounding yourself. The beauty of the online world is that you don't have to live close and you don't have to work together to find one another. You can find a whole community of sensitive, creative, insightful people that are interested and excited about the same things. I want to ask you about the importance of journaling and about journaling as a tool for not just creative expression, but a kind of a tapping in in a deep way, something that might be sleeping or just gently stirring in us. Can you say a little bit about journaling? And you know where I'm going, Janie. Jamie, I want to know about the Give a Girl a Journal project. And so that's, I, that's where I'm going. But you know. <laughs> I'm so excited to go there with you. And you know, one of the things I found in all of the years of my, you know, my podcast and my talking to creatives, my working with creatives, the one creative practice that people say they turn to the most often is journaling. And I think it's because it is, I often think of my journal as a studio that's just for me. It's a place where I can imagine, where I can create, where I can rant, where I can stretch, where I can actually do anything without any fear of judgment, except my own, you know, without any fear of um, reprisal. I can just explore and be me. And I actually think this simple practice of putting yourself on the page, even honestly just stream of consciousness writing, just pouring whatever, th no matter how mundane, no matter how ridiculous, no matter how brilliant, just pouring it onto the page. If you do that every day, it will, I guarantee you, it will work magic in your life. Things will start to shift and change. When I first started doing this, I was in university. I was in a long-term relationship that was not that great for me, uh, but I was committed to it. And as I was writing every day, every day, every day, every day, I was like, oh, my goodness, oh, my, I cannot help but see what I am tolerating. I cannot help but see what my heart is yearning for. I, it reflected, you know, when you were talking about the arts reflecting, my own writing, my own journal reflected back to me 
what I was most yearning for, what was causing me the most pain, and allowed me to start to find the courage to make change. And having that safe place for your own thoughts, your own voice, your own experience, free of anybody else, is so crucial to our individuality. And that is why, this, <laughs> I'll go where you're leading, <laughs> that is why I created um, a do-good initiative called Give a Girl a Journal, and you can find it at giveagirlajournal.com. And my goal is to get as many journals into the hands of as many girls as possible and empower them to use them, to really help them understand that their journal is their safe place, their haven, their sanctuary, their studio, where it can, it can be drawing, it can be writing, you can glue things in. It's a place just for them. Whatever is in their minds and whatever is in their hearts, there is room for it in their journal. And how we worked it, I love doing this too because I wanted to give girls a, a, a sense that there is a community of adults out there that believes in them and believes in their having a safe and creative space for themselves. So there's two ways you can participate and give a girl a journal. You can sponsor a girl or you can sponsor a journal, which is you um, donate $20, and for $20, I will make sure that a journal is packaged up nicely and sent off to a girl with instructions on how to use it. Or you can nominate a girl, and that's free. So if you know a girl in your community, if your niece or your neighbor you know, is a girl and you think she could really benefit from getting a journal, put her name in, give us her address and her approximate age, and we will send her this wonderful present in the mail. She'll know that it came from you, but she'll also know that it came from a community of people who are supporting Give a Girl a Journal and girls like her. I love this. What what feedback are you getting? Because if, if you go to giveagirlajournal.com, there are um, stories, kind of testimonies um, from some of the people, right, who have uh, donated and who have received journals. What kind of feedback are you getting? This to me, I wish I'd thought of this. This is fabulous. <laughs> well, I this idea, I had like three, it took me three years from the time the seed landed in my heart to the time that I took on doing it. And the feedback has been amazing. First, just for me, when people nominate a girl, they're often telling me why they're nominating her. And the stories will inspire and break your heart, you know. So little girls who are, you know, have just moved to a new community and don't have any friends yet. Little girls who are um, dealing with um, bullying, uh, girls who have been diagnosed with illnesses, girls who have suffered loss uh, and uh, have lost a family member, um, older girls who are heading off to high school for the first time or for the first time they're picking their colleges. And so it, as soon as I start to hear those stories, I'm already excited about sending <laughs> these girls journals. And I love, I got a letter the other day from a girl who just said, she sent it, I love her, her own handwriting, sent me a note that said that she would cherish the journal forever mm. and that she hoped I would continue to make girls' dreams come true and said that one day she too would give a girl a journal. Oh. I know, right? <laughs> and I had a wonderful story too about, I've sent them all over the world. I've, I've sent them to Australia, New Zealand, Germany, France, all across the U.S., all across Canada, uh, the Philippines. And one of the 
stories I loved the most was a, a teenage girl sent the, a journal to her cousin in India, and they had never spoken to one another, but she knew that her cousin had dreams of being a writer just like she did. And so she sponsored her to get a journal. I sent, we sent it off to her, and then when the other girl, the girl in India, got the journal, she called her cousin for the very first time they connected voice to voice. Hmm. That's so powerful, and it's such a wonderful reminder of the way in which we are in community with everyone else who's here, even if we're not paying attention to them, right? We think we're on our own, we think we're not connected, and yet we are in community with everybody on the planet at this time. And when you can reach out and do something, anything, something beautiful and meaningful, like give a girl a journal, it makes an enormous difference. Wow. You, I know that through your programs and that's because I show up at your programs and I'm gleefully sitting in front of my computer, enjoying your programs. Um, (laughs) You offer a lot also for those of us who are maybe not girls anymore. Can you say a little bit about your offerings for adults and Mm -hmm. all the zillions of ways people can connect? You also, you have more free resources than I think anybody I know. There's so many ways for people to tap into what you offer. Oh, thank you so much. And um, absolutely. So one thing for people, if you're listening to this idea of journaling and also of community and connection, then I have another session of my journal club coming up. I had no idea how amazing journal club was going to be. I just had this idea, you know, we all look wistfully at these pictures on Pinterest of women in coffee shops journaling, you know, and they're all so cool and artsy. And I was like, well, what if we could all do that together? online. And so I created this journal club and um, we meet uh, in uh, in a sort of conference room, a video conference room. Don't worry, you guys, you don't have to show, you don't only see me. Nobody else has to uh, be seen because I know a lot of people come in their pajamas. <laughs> <laughs> and we go, we, we connect with one another. We do journal prompts. We journal about our day. We even do a little bit of doodling. And it is just a gorgeous, sensitive, creative community. And um, and registration is open for that now. So if you go over to OpenTheDoor.ca, you can look under the Academy, and you'll see that. And for the free resources, you know, come over, join the studio at OpenTheDoor.ca. And one of the things that you'll, I know you'll really enjoy is I have a free workshop on um, how to make a dream board. And this is a great personal activity if you're reconnecting to your heart and yourself. Uh, it's just, you know, how do you intuitively gather collage images and create a dream board that will reflect back, to, that word's showing up a lot today, yes. reflect back to you clues about what you're aching for, who you are. You know, when I started my business, my dream boards were the key to my branding. My whole website, all the colors, all that came from my dream board because I had just seen over making them again and again. I'm like, oh, I always pick this. It's always got to have some light. It's always got to have some sparkle, lots of white space. I learned that about me and my work from dream boarding. Wow. Jamie, thank you so much. I'm seeing where we are with our time. And is there something you want to leave the listeners with? They're going to go to openthedoor.ca. They'll join the studio. They'll get free resources. They're going to check out all your classes. Is there something you'd like to leave with them today? Absolutely. I would say if there was something in this conversation that sparked a little faster heartbeat in you or brought some tears up for you or goosebumps 
or whatever the way your spirit talks to you and says, this is for me, this is for me, don't wait anymore. (laughs) Don't wait another moment. Our life is short, and we are here to be who we are. If you have that tingle in your spine, I guarantee you that creating is for you. And whether that's singing or drawing or dancing, start today. Play a song loud and belt it out. Dance in your kitchen. Don't wait another moment moment to be reunited with your creative heart. Jamie, thank you so much for being on the show today. What a pleasure to connect with you. Thank you. Thank you so much. That is Jamie Riddler. You can find out more about Jamie and her work at OpenTheDoor.ca. Tons of good resources there for you. Find out more about the Give a Girl a Journal project at GiveAGirlAJournal.com. And of course, you can always connect with me at KarenHager.com. And if you believe, as I do, that collective intention makes a difference, that when we gather our thoughts, our focus, our energy, that we can change the world, I'd love for you to check out Opening the Peaceful Heart. That's a monthly, free, 15-minute group meditation and we bring people from all over the world together into a space where we hold energy for peace, for change, for connection. Find out more about that at openpeacefulheart.com. And thank you for listening today. Together we are spreading a little more light in the world, and a little more light is always a good thing. Until next time, I'm wishing you peace. Peace.